Guys, welcome to episode 19 of the Humanity Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Somehow, I have another person willing to be on this uh, shit heap of a podcast. <laughs> uh, welcome, uh, Jamie Hughes from Wales. I nearly said Scotland when I texted him. Like, are you from Scotland? Or like, no, he's from Wales. <laughs> That's an insult. Uh, hence, hence why I, I looked first, because I didn't want to insult you before asking you to be on the podcast. <laughs> it's a good icebreaker. Uh, are you a, are you a Scotsman or are you uh, the Red Dragon fellow? Like I don't know I don't know any Welsh people, so like I'm just guessing. I'm like throwing out rambles and shit. I don't know. Alrighty, so uh, that's it. So Jamie, do you want to tell everyone where you're from and where you train in case they want to get around with you sometime? Yeah, uh, I train at um, Catholic Pride Martial Arts. Uh, we're based in Abbey in South Wales. It's the uh, small Welsh Valley. Uh, we've been running about 11 years now. We specialise in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Thai boxing and mixed martial arts. Mm. Now, one thing I'm curious about, with uh, because I don't know the dynamic about Wales. Is your part of Wales the best part of Wales? And be honest. Yeah, the valleys is the valleys is the best part. That's where all at the minute, in, in my opinion, the valleys is where all the the best martial arts uh, um, academies are. Uh, you think it'd be like the major cities, like, but for some reason, the valleys seems to produce a lot of a lot of good black belts, a lot of good jiu-jitsu competitors. There's multiple um, cage warriors, world champions who train you, um, UFC fighters, so. Yeah, it must be something something in the water in the. In the <laughs> probably because we got nothing better. Yeah, I was just about to suggest that since you're tr- since you live in I don't know in a literal valley, I imagine there's not much to, str- to distract yourself other than strangling each other. No, that's pretty much all we do. Like I like where I live at Larry, I think there's like a population of about twelve thousand people. I think so. Yeah, there, there's an awful lot to do apart from play football, rugby, or strangle each other every night of the week. Hmm. I wonder if those two uh, hobbies ever interlap. Like, uh, you'd have, like, the goalkeeper be an MMA fighter in a soccer match. Uh, we have, like, loads of rugby players who, when they stop playing rugby, they come and do jiu-jitsu because they like that physical outlet. They can still throw someone about, and they can actually choke them legally, so I think they quite enjoy that. <laughs> Ah <laughs> uh, well, uh, did you see that video from Leg Locker lately? There's a rugby match and this one dude fucking he hooks another dude. Yeah, that's savage. Like he proper like fucked that guy up like really badly, and he knew what he was doing. Like Baslett's are really naughty, really really naughty. Mm. Uh, I looked in the comments and apparently there was like a background and stuff. Like you know those two like fucking hated each other and like that's why your man done it. I'm like. Still, still ripping someone's knee apart with a heel hook on a on a rugby pitch—that's pretty extreme. He could have just punched him or something. Mm. Or he could have he could have just knee barred him instead of a fucking heel hooking him. Like, come on, <laughs> just tear his PCL rather than his ACL. Yeah, exactly. That's that's called mercy. <laughs> Good-natured chap. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a, uh, that's chaotic good on like the alignment board. Or what's it? I don't know. I don't know D and D, so so that's it. Um, how did how did you get into martial arts and did you train anything before starting jujitsu? Uh, yeah. Um, I got like kind of forced to go to my first ever martial arts lesson. I started with um, Thai boxing. So I was um, 
I was in my first year of college. I just just left school. I was in my first year of college. I was studying um, plumbing at the time of all things, and I really wasn't doing any any sort of sport anymore because I played played like uh, football and stuff when I was younger. But yeah, I'd stopped playing sport and I was just really just going to college and just going out on the piss a couple of nights a week, just getting drunk with my friends. And my dad said to me the one day, he was like, oh, look, you've got you've to start playing some sort of sport. And this is coming from my father, who wasn't really that big into his sport. So he took me along to um, my brother-in-law at the time. He just started a, a beginner's Thai boxing class in like a little little pub function room locally. And he, he took me along and I didn't want to go. I was like, oh, I'll do it just to keep, just to keep my old man happy. And I went along the lesson, and to my surprise, I loved it. And I started with um, one of my best friends, Matthew, or Miffer, as he's actually known. And I started going with him, and we started going for a couple of weeks, and eventually he dropped off, but I stuck with it. And then within like a year, I was fighting, I was fighting professional professional tie boxing as a as a seventeen year old lad, and that's how God that's damn. how I that's how I got started. As you do. <laughs> As I see, you do. Uh, yeah. How long were you training uh, Muay Thai and stuff before you started doing jiu-jitsu? Uh, I think I was training Thai boxing pretty intensely around two years up until about 18 or 19. And then the the club I was training at, like this uh, Celtic Pride had just started. So Greg uh, Creel, my current coach now, he was teaching uh, jiu-jitsu as a, I believe he was either a blue or purple belt. <laughs> and I went to one of his classes when I was 17, just to, just to see where it was like. And I didn't really like enjoy jiu-jitsu at first because I was so uh, focused on like Thai boxing. I loved stand-up. So I didn't really uh, do that much jiu-jitsu until I was about uh, 19. And then I really started getting a um, keen interest in mixed martial arts. And I obviously was aware that to uh, fight mixed martial arts, I couldn't just go in just as a Thai boxer because I was going to get submitted. So I started training jiu-jitsu just so I could get up off the floor and punch people in the head some more, basically. So I started training with Greg, and I took to jiu-jitsu pretty quickly, and then I, I was fighting a lot of MMA. Uh, I had, like, um, 11 amateur fights. I won, like, a, a British amateur title. Got to fight some good-level opposition at um, in amateur MMA. I fought... Um, Leon Edwards, um, he's like ranked number four in the UFC now. So I wasn't fighting like bums at amateur. I was fighting good guys and testing my jiu-jitsu and things like that. But then eventually I got to a point with um, with MMA where I was just like, I was hard to match because I was at the time I was fighting at welterweight, which was like 77 kilos. So um, I was like six foot six. I had like good striking, good tie boxing and I was really struggling to get good matchups. So I'd started competing in jiu-jitsu a lot more then because Greg was like, oh, it'll be good for your MMA. And he just got to a point where jiu-jitsu kind of, um, it just it just took over my life and it was the only thing I wanted to be doing. Like, I remember I'd be like hitting pads when I was in Thai boxing classes thinking about the next jiu-jitsu class. So I think that's what led me to the decision then. I, I sat down with my coaches the one day and I said, look, I think this is what I want to do um with the rest of my life and um, i think i just got my blue belt at the time and then since then it's just been a whirlwind of jiu-jitsu and that's that's all i do now for for, for, for work mm. oh man see uh was there anything in particular that you struggled with like uh, when you initially started off the jiu-jitsu like was there any uh, sort of technique or 
concept or a concept you're that just wasn't meshing well? Uh, to be honest with you, because I was so, I was like really, really skinny when I first started. Like I was six foot six, but I was like uh, 70 kilograms. So I was just like always the, the weakest one in the room. So I, I naturally took to like playing guard a lot. I didn't really play top until I started, started putting on weight, like as I went through the belts. But um, yeah, when I first started as a white belt, basically all I could do was just like hold people in my clothes guard because I had long legs and then my, my jiu-jitsu developed from there. But that was like the thing I kind of gravitated towards. Hmm. Do you have uh, you have triangle legs, I imagine, since uh, lanky bastards usually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Like uh, the first thing um, my coach Greg ever taught me was a, a triangle and an armbar. And I can remember the first um, the first session I sparred and I actually pulled off a, a triangle and I was like, oh, this, this stuff actually works. It was like that eureka moment when you notice that jiu-jitsu actually actually does work and. Through all the belts, like triangles and armbars, has always been like my favorite thing in competition. Like I don't use them so much in the gym anymore because there's other areas of my game I focus on. I know I've got that kind of in the back of my locker, but that's yeah. Like, if I was to like break down all like my my competition submissions, the triangle and the armbar would probably be right at the top, out to a, a pretty big lead, I think. Mm. The, uh, what's your sort of advice for new people in general? Like uh, say you notice new people around the place, you're like listen here son here's uh, the best advice you'll ever hear in your life it's <laughs> um, like what i say to a lot of my students and like a lot of the, the guys in the academy who just start out it's just like just to enjoy jiu-jitsu ask as many questions as you can and just be open to trying everything don't just think that you can only play one game or you'll only be good at doing one or so many things is just having a, a good open mind and having a good attitude to training and like like when you come in ask questions be super open um don't compare yourself to others on the mat only really focus on your own personal development and you'll 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 have a good successful enjoyable experience in jiu-jitsu mm. the uh these are some of the questions i reserve just for the, the coaches that come on so yeah uh, What's the first sort of technique or lesson you try to instill in uh, your beginners class? Uh, if we're teaching beginners, um, I like to teach um, close guard because I think is the the one thing that is kind of unique to jiu-jitsu and is effective for all body types. So usually if a beginner comes in, like one of the first techniques they're probably going to learn is going to be like maybe like a basic like hip bump or kimura or, or something like that just to understand like the one of the unique principles of jiu-jitsu because obviously like you've got other martial arts like judo which has groundwork like wrestling to a degree but the guard is pretty unique to Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a whole so that's kind of the first thing I like to try people on just so they can get a feel of like fighting off their back because it's quite um an alien principle to outside of jiu-jitsu mm. the uh what's your favorite sort of class to teach do you prefer teaching beginners intermediate or advanced sort of classes um i get a different buzz from teaching all different types of um levels so like the beginners is like there's no better feeling than watching like a day one white belt come in for his first couple of classes where you can't even like do a shrimp up and down the mat or do a forward roll and then you look at him two months later and he's pulling off arm bars and actually doing like good structured jiu-jitsu and he doesn't look like a complete spaz anymore so I get a buzz out of that 
then I also like the advanced students who were like really like picking my brains trying to get like to the the deep idiosyncrasies of a technique and they're asking about grip exchanges and just little finite details I also get a massive buzz at that because I can see um you can kind of throw a little bit more at advanced students and it'll kind of assimilate quicker than if you were like checking an advanced technique at a white belt mm. the uh one thing i'm always curious about with each guest i get on is because this is different for each person uh no shit but like uh what's uh, the first your first competition like a uh, jiu-jitsu one and how, how'd it go for you oh my my first ever competition was a was a nogi competition in 2009 and I can remember I'd been training jiu-jitsu about two months. I think it was, if that. And I went to this competition. I think I was with the smallest one. It was like an under 75 kilogram division. So we show up to this leisure center. It's jam-packed full of every, like your stereotypical, you've got your MMA guys are there. You've got your jiu-jitsu nerds. Um, so I'm sat there waiting for my division to start. And ironically, my cousin, Lee, he's training at another local gym but under a different instructor. So I show up and I'm like, oh, what category are you doing, Lee? And he's like, oh, I'm, I think I'm in the same category as you. So he cut a lot of weight because he's always been my bigger cousin. So I was like, oh, we're both in the 75 kilos. So we're sat there, like in the bleachers, like even though we're on different teams, we're sat there and like they're calling people out on the mat. This is like this competition's only got one mat running. So everyone's watching every single fight. So the names are being called out and the numbers in our division are dwindling and dwindling. And I'm sat there looking at my bigger cousin who's always like beat me up and bullied me, you know, bigger cousins are. <laughs> so like sat there and I'm thinking, I'm going to end up fighting my big cousin, yeah? Uh, so we get drawn in the first round and I actually beat him. I, all I do is play, play close guard, uh, rack up advantages. And I think I swept him at the end to win. So there was all like the people in the crowd were, oh, Jamie beat his, Jamie beat his, uh, his big cousin. And then I won like my next, um, my next three fights. And then I think I lost in the final by like two. Uh, I think the guy was a blue belt at the time because the divisions were all like weird at that time. They were like experience levels, but you still had blue belts fighting at like beginner and things like that. Mm. So yeah, that was my, my first competition experience, but it was funny. We got, we go home and we always used to have uh, Sunday lunch at my, my grandmother's. And I remember my, my cousin Lee being sat at the table going, oh, Nan, what do you think about my baby cousin beating me up? So that, that, was, that, was, that was my first competition, my first ever competitive match. I fought, uh, fought a family member. God, that's fucking weird, man. Yeah, it I is probably, but... I imagine that, uh, that made quite a stir up at... Uh fucking uh family dinner like oh man why'd you fucking strangle it why'd you sweep your cousin like what the fuck why'd you yeah, get so I've many had, advantages i've had the family bragging right since because i was always like out of all my cousins i was always the baby so i'm I, i'm the biggest one out of all of them now so i got the bragging rights and they can't actually do anything about it now so <laughs> maybe you set me on a good path like family domination Mm. I imagine if you you two ever got into like a disagreement, like oh yeah, well I swept you, so I win the argument. That's why. Now to be fair to my cousin Lee, like he he stopped training about a year or two after that because he he relocated to um, Australia, and like ever since that, like he's been like one of my, one of my biggest fans. He's always like really been really supportive and things like that. So a big shout out to my cousin Lee who's um, doing his thing over in Australia. Mm. Uh, see, do you have a 
besides just your first one, do you have a favorite competition story like uh, under your repertoire? Uh, it was probably my my first um, white belt gi competition because um, I think I fought my first gi competition after about three or four months training. And for some reason, because I'd fought at the time, I'd fought pro tie boxing, I'd fought no gi, and I, but for some reason I was like super nervous about this, this um, gi competition because I had no idea what to expect because obviously we were like the IBJJF rules were in place, so. I was like aware of like no no reaping the knee and things like that. So it was it was like I was super nervous for it. And I remember my first match, like Greg, my coach just said, just just do what you think is right. So I run in and at the time you could jump guard at white belt. That's how long ago it was. And mm-hmm. I run in, I, I like literally grip up, jump guard, and I armbar the guy in like twelve seconds. And I was like, oh, oh this 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 jujitsu stuff is pretty easy. Like, <laughs> but I armbar that guy in twelve seconds. And I can remember the the next match. I fought, um, I fought a guy, and I remember it was just the worst thing ever because I was like, oh, I'm just going to breeze through this guy and then get, get get onto the podium. And I remember the guy just beat the absolute piss out of me. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what jiu-jitsu is about. You feel like you're like top of the mountain and then getting beat up the next one. So that was like a, a good learning experience at the at the early, early period of jiu-jitsu. Mm. Do you have a do you have a preferred rule set to compete under? Like, uh, do you prefer IBJJF or Polaris or anything? Um, to be honest, with you, I find I like all of them in like um, in different measures. It's like I like competing IBJJF, but then I like doing the the ADCC super fight rules. It's like for me, grappling is grappling. It doesn't matter whether you've got a gi on or a no gi. Is uh, uh, at the end of the day, a match is a match. A fight is a fight. So. I've always um, trained to be the best everywhere. I don't just want to be one of those guys who they people look at and go, oh, yeah, he's really good at Nogi, but chuck him in a gi and he's useless or vice versa. I just like the fact that over my career, I've been able to have success in every single discipline of um, of grappling, whether it's been gi at the, at the high level mm-hmm. or Nogi at the high level. So, yeah, like, there's the, the, like for, for the nogi, like obviously you've got like the you can do heel hooks and things like that, which is super fun. But then with the IBJJF, you've got to fight maybe five, six black belts back to back inside of an hour for, for like ten minute matches. So it presents different challenges, and that's that's why I, why I compete is to be challenged because I think if you just get like a, a set wheelhouse where you know you're gonna have success pretty much all the time. Like if you're only just a nogi guy who does super fights all the time, then yeah, that's cool. But why not step out and chuck a gi on and challenge yourself against people who are training in the gi all the time? So for me, I just like the the challenge of doing them all. I couldn't say I got a favorite. I just I just love competing. Mm. And that's a pretty good way to look at it. Just you know, like trying to do good in all areas as opposed to like specializing in just one. Like oh no, I own I only do no gi super fights. But like no, I love gi shit as well. Yeah, I think everyone should try, try and try and do everything. Like obviously, like people are gonna have their favorites, and I've got nothing against people who go after one set group because obviously, like it's been shown that like if you are a specialist, you can make a nice little niche out of that. Like you look at someone like a like a Gordon Ryan, he, he chose to pursue the Nogi route earlier, and is paid off for him. But then you've got other guys like one of his coaches, Gary Tornan, who still like even though he doesn't train in the gi, will still chuck a gi on every now and again and do a, a gi super fight, which I think is really cool as well. Uh, you know, it's all it's all just a bit of crack at the end of the day. It's just strangulating each other, regardless if you have a pajamas on or not. 
Exactly. If you if you look at all like your favourite jiu-jitsu guys and the guys who you respect most in the sport, you'll look at them and they'll probably be guys who fight all rule sets. It's like uh, like an Andre Galvao is someone I respect highly just because he's won everything at the high level in every single rule set. It's like how many people on earth can say they've done that? It's the same thing for Hodge Gracie. Mm. Uh, I can't really fault that line of thinking. Like, see, uh, do you have a favorite submission under uh, your belt? Or in competition? Just your favorite submission in general, like uh, your favorite uh, one to catch, whether it be rolling, competing, just in general. Um, probably triangles are still my favorite. I know it's just my, my submission. I know if I cinch up a triangle, very, very rarely is anyone getting out of it. So that's kind of like the the relief submission when I lock it up. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's done. So okay. that's that, that's probably my favorite. But to be honest with you, through like even like in the gym and competition, I catch so many like varied submissions that I can't say I'm just like a guy who just does one thing. Like I, I catch like everything, like bow and arrows, arm bars, triangles, knee bars, toes, pretty much. Because like, I've always been at the brought up in jiu-jitsu to be a finisher. So if I can grab something and I can bend it the wrong way or I can strangle it, I'm going to try and do it. Hmm. Now, see, I think that's a better way to look at it because, like, you know, if you submit someone, there's no fucking question about who won. Because, like, you could just say, oh, he, he got, like, an advantage or two points and then just stalled like a motherfucker. But, no, I submitted you, so I fucking win. Yeah, like, that's how, like, obviously I come from, like, the like the, the TT lineage where you've got, like, um, Terrier and Tales and people like that who actively promote... Um, attack in jiu-jitsu like Andre Galvao is very much the same the, like guys who go after the finish like my coach Greg he's always told me if you can finish someone why go through 10 minutes when you can have it done in 30 he said you ain't getting paid for overtime like over the years I've obviously learned that you can't submit everyone in certain competitions like IBJJF sometimes yeah you've got to play clever and maybe win 2-0 year and there to get past a, a tough competitor but I always say he's winning but he's not really winning yeah, I got through to the next round, but for me, like I'm always like super hard on myself. So if I don't go into a competition and submit everyone, then I'm never satisfied. But I think that's a, a good way to, to look at it because you've always got something to chase for. If you go in and submit everyone and you, you win the gold or you win your super fight or whatever, I think that's job done and then you can you can move on to the next one. Mm. See, so, uh one thing I always wonder with each person is like uh how many times have I fucking said that this episode? <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. Like, uh, what was the first seminar you attended, and uh, do you remember what was taught at it? Yeah, I can actually remember. Uh, it was a uh, Pedro Bessa seminar. So Pedro was my, um, excuse me, my head instructor. Pedro was the one who awarded me my black belt along with Greg. And I can remember I'd been training in the gear about a month. And Pedro came up and it was like quite a big deal because like he came to like Abley and like I remember there was like a couple of like blue belts there and Pedro come and taught uh, Deliva, Deliva guard which I'd never seen before so it like blew my mind. I was like, what is this voodoo? What is he doing? And I can remember drilling the techniques and after the seminar, is something um, Pedro rolled with every single student that was in attendance one after the other and I just watching uh, a black belt of his caliber just systematically uh dissect the room full of like 30 people without barely breaking a sweat i was just mesmerized i was like wow 
I was like, that's what a jiu-jitsu black belt is. The f- he was the first one I'd ever met. He was the first one I'd ever seen roll in person. And just the way he carried himself, I, I watched his jiu-jitsu and just the way he carried himself, like he was so friendly and open and you could see the level of respect he had from everyone in attendance. So, yeah, getting to see that was was really special because I saw our, our world-class black belt acts and how they train. So I've always taken that forward for myself. If I ever do a seminar now, I make sure I roll with everyone I can at a seminar. Because I think if they paid money to come and learn techniques, then they probably want to see those techniques put into action. So if I do a seminar, I'll roll with every single person I, I can in that room until until I'm tired or, or the, the time runs out. Because I think that's something you you owe. Like I don't I don't think everyone does that but for me it's like if someone's someone's paying a fee for me to teach them and i want to show them my jiu-jitsu actually works because i could be teaching them fucking absolute nonsense so yeah seeing mm. seeing Edward do that as a as a white belt was um a really inspiring moment for me and something that i took forward from that mm. uh see uh i uh i sort of missed out one time on like uh training with pedro because he came to our gym for a seminar but I, I see, it's actually kind of funny. See, the week before, there was a different seminar, just coincidentally. And for both of those days, I was working. I had to get off work early, lose money, and then pay money to go to the seminar. So, like, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's fucking hilarious. So I went to this other seminar, and then next, the, the next week, it was Pedro. I was like, I already went to that one last week. I just fucking, I'll give this one a miss. And then there was, they, they, then they were teaching the stuff Pedro was teaching, like uh, for 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 a little bit, it was this wicked fucking arm armbar defense break. Like they're defending the armbar this wicked way to get them to fucking to break their defense. I'm like, ah, I should have gone to that fucking one. God damn it. Yeah, like like Pedro, like some he's massively underrated, in my opinion. Like he's obviously like super well respected. But you mention any Pedro best or anyone, they're like, oh yeah, Pedro's tough, but. Pedro managed to get on like world podiums at like world Norgi and win like European titles and things like that. Just training with like at the time a board of white and blue belts in Bristol and he was getting on fighting the toughest guys in the world, submitting world champions. So and what he's managed to build in like the UK and Ireland, I think is amazing for someone who came over from Brazil as like a, I think he was like a 20 year old brown belt. And now he's got, one of the most successful and um, strongest associations in, in, in the UK and Ireland, which I think is something I, I respect a lot because obviously Pedro's been one of my teachers the whole way through and he's had a really good competitive career, but he's also excelled immensely as a coach too. Mm. Uh, that's a good, that's a good point that you raised. So, yeah. Have you ever integ- have you ever like gone to seminar and like uh, whatever has been taught you just loved it so much you've integrated into your game it's become just a mainstay? Uh, yeah, I went to a uh, cyborg Hebrew seminar in London at um, New School BJJ when I was like a, a fresh purple belt, and I remember it was uh, cyborg had always been one of my favorites because I was like at the time like proper nerding out on jiu-jitsu watching him do like all crazy tornado guard. So this seminar was set up. I think um, I think Ed Brown uh, from New School BJJ was setting up the seminars at the time, and he brought Cyborg over. And it was like a two-hour seminar, and right from the warm-up all the way through to the last technique, and just the way he was breaking down techniques was all on Tornado Guard. And from that day, I pretty much Tornado Guard just 
slotted into my game like a like a perfect puzzle piece and i've used it ever since i've used it in competition training but it was just really like it shows like how good of a teacher cyborg is and a practitioner that he could come for like a two-hour seminar and i managed to take away everything that he taught at that seminar which uh, which made a massive difference to me because obviously i had like a type of body which worked for tornado guard and quite flexible in my back and my hamstrings so yeah from from that day i started um using tornado guard like i remember like i think it was like six months later after drilling it i managed to tornado guard like 130 kilogram guy in an absolute fight which felt which felt pretty good to, to know that they, it works against the big chaps as well <laughs> what the fuck that's that's quite a difference 130 i'm like what the fuck that's kind of like uh i don't know the diff like the ratio between pounds and kg but like uh do you remember that dude, Mikey Musumeci, fought at the Euros? Like that dude was like five hundred fucking pounds. Yeah, I fought that guy. I fought him in the I fought him in the final of the IBJJF Amsterdam Open last year. At, how uh, how that how'd that go? Uh, it was at ultra heavy. Like I'd had a good day in the division because I'd like won. I think I won my first one. I submitted um, Monstro in the in the semi final, and Monstro's like one hundred and twenty five kilos, as you can imagine by his name. And then I fought uh, Eddie, Eddie Humin in the, in the final. Um, I pulled guard on him and I actually managed to, to lock my legs around him, which everyone was like, kind of like chuckling at on the side because this guy's like <laughs> 150 kilos. Like, and I played close guard with him for a bit and I shot up a triangle and I actually like cinched it to the diamond. And I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm just submitting these, these fat guys today. Yeah, he, he passed my guard and then it was literally like the equivalent to fighting an avalanche. Oh god! I was on the bottom for about three minutes, and I there was a couple of times where I was on the bottom. And I was thinking, yeah, I might actually die in this match from being suffocated. Because <laughs> like he, he's not only 150 kilograms, he's actually good to go with it. The guy knows what he's doing. Is like people were slagging him off against Mikey, going, "Oh, he's just trying to just trying to squash him." He's like, "Yeah, if you were 150 kilograms and really strong on a judo black belt, you try and squash everyone as well." I mm. uh, see. That's it. Forgot what I was gonna say. But like, was that that was in gi, right, or was it no gi? Yeah, that was in gi. Yeah. But that that was that was another good experience as well. To fight someone of that size, like pretty much ev- like all the competition matches I've ever done, I've only ever fought someone who's like taller than me twice. And I think the biggest one I fought up until that was 140 kilograms and that was a, that was a big chat but then the fights watch someone jump on the scales at 150 and then and then fight them is it it a good experience because i like, can look back and say yeah i got in there with someone who's almost double my size and, and put, up a, put up a decent fight as well like i'd love to fight the guy again because i think I, I i could beat him mm. oh, shit. i remember what i was going to say now uh see the thing would uh correct me if i'm wrong but like uh the thing with ultra heavyweight, right, is um, is there a cutoff for like uh, the weight? Like they just it pretty much just becomes like the absolute division anyway like, uh, for like the heavier dudes. It depends with the the UAE JJF now. They they've got a cutoff of 120 kilos, so you can't be over 120 kilos, which is a bit silly, really. When like because there are just guys who are just ginormous human beings, but for obviously for IBJJF there is no limit, so. I fight ultra heavy quite a bit, even though I'm not like a legitimate ultra heavy. I just like, I weigh wherever I fight. So if I'm walking around about 98, 99, I'll chuck my gear on and I'll do ultra heavy just for the crack of it. 
Mm. Yeah, do you uh, wear them as stilos, the heavy fucking geese, so you just get up there a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, like, like that's one of my favourite competition geese. Like, so, so at the minute, I know I'm going through, like, a thing where, like, last year all I've been wearing is lightweight geese uh, from, from Tatami, but, yeah, my estilos are usually the ones I... Uh, I check on for competition if I want to bump myself up to just just be over the the ultra heavy limit. Mm. Uh, man, I fucking love to tell me like uh, my new competition gear is the the white hokiri because like yeah. it's just it's just lovely. I love that gear. Yeah, they got they got some really good stuff out of them there. Like big shout out to Tammy. They've been um, they've been sponsoring me since I was like a really young blue belt, and they've done done a lot for me over the years. Like through like giving me gear and paying for competitions and sending me around the world so yeah really really good company which are obviously like they're welsh as well so i've got like a really good relationship with those guys and they do uh they're probably the best guys in the world to be sponsored by because they do so much for their athletes and the jiu-jitsu community as a whole so yeah big shout out to to lee and gareth who uh um pretty much changed welsh jiu-jitsu and uk jiu-jitsu for the better with what they've done with uh tazami fightwear the mm. so, uh le- legit like all my gear i wear is tatami I-, I have about 23 fucking geese and all of them are by tatami some of them are older ones i bought off of ebay like the inverted two or the estilo four i love old school geese i'm a bit of a collector yeah i'm i'm the same with my geese it's like i often say i guess sent so many geese and things like that to test like i'd love it if someone could take them off my hands wear them for six months and then give me them back because I, I, I'm not particularly a fan of chucking a new gi on. I like it when they're, they're older and they've been worn in and they they, they, they feel like they, they should be on your body. Mm. See, like, uh, I've started doing this. Like Whenever I get a new gi, I, I just wash it straight away because one, I, I get an A2, I wear an A2, but once it's shrunk just a little bit after it's washed, it fits me perfect. So like, yeah. why, even wear, why even wear it the first time when it doesn't even fit properly when you have 20 other gis anyway? Like, What's the point? Exactly. It's like, it's like for me, I wear uh, an A3, but when I do like photo shoots and stuff for the Tommy, I can actually fit in a, a an A2L. So when I do like um, like a bit, a bit of the stuff for the photo shoots, they'll always send me an A2L to wear. But like just for training, like A3 is perfect for me because I give it one wash and it literally fits to perfection. That's why I love like the Tommy Estilo so much because I put it on after one wash. I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. But the thing I do get, I've got I get through a lot of geese because they because mine shrink and I've got really long orangutan arms. I've got a set <laughs> I've got to set aside a couple of geese which will pass gi inspections for major tournaments. So I've got like my training geese which I'll wear all the time and I've got competition geese which I which I keep back just so they I know they're gonna pass the pass the gi check. Mm. See, it's really weird with the sizing and shit sometimes. Like uh fucking them like like the ones I just mentioned, the ones I got off eBay, the inverted two and the Estilo four. Those are A ones I got off eBay and they fit me fine. Like it might just be like it, it, um like a millimeter or two too short. Like you wouldn't let me wear that in competition, and the pants are a tiny bit too short. But it's not like a ridiculous amount. Like an A one fits me fine in that regard. It's weird. Yeah, it's like like a lot of the geese like vary in size depending on the model, but. Like for the most part, like the Estilos through the years have pretty much rece- uh, stayed the same sort of cut because I think that's where they get so much uh, return business because people like it's like anything you've got your favorite brands of anything so I think people get used to wearing a certain gear and having a certain cut so I think the Estilo has proved like superly popular because pretty much you go to a competition everyone's got an Estilo on so mm. like it's, got- it's their luck. So it's their longest running gi like uh, series for a reason. Like you know, people love them. 
Yeah, it's like it's like their flagship thing. It's like people look at Tatami and they look at like the Estilo and probably like the the Zero G. Those are the those are the staples of the brand. Like, mm. oh, you won't believe what I found off eBay just there. Well, since you reminded me of Estilo, I found an old school Navy Estilo One. I'm like, holy shit, how the fuck do I even get one? I'll send it to you later because like it's one of the old old ones. It's fucking beautiful. There's there's a there's a black belt in um, my academy, uh, Andy B. Uh, Andrew Baton, he's uh, he's actually got one of those and still weighs it training. That's how that's how long Andy B's been doing the doing the damn thing. But yeah, he's a he's a black belt in the rest. And every now and again, he comes with this like version one Navy Estilo, and I'm like, yeah. But you see someone with that on, you know you're in for a tough time because they've been doing jiu-jitsu a long time. <laughs> some some people have theorized that's why I like the older geese, so it'll look like I've been training longer, so it'll look like I'm better than I actually am. <laughs> Yeah, it might, it might, it might be, but it's like an intimidation thing. People probably look it up and down, and think, "Fucking hell, like he's been through some wars." It's like when you see someone with a really raggedy belt, you're like, "Oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, this is going, this isn't going to be fun." But my belt looks normal, so that's kind of like a weird uh, just juxtaposition. Like the geese fucked hey. up, but the belt isn't. What's going on here? And I just got like a crisp blue belt on with this battered old gee. That could go one or two ways. Maybe the guy's like a wrestling sandbagger. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, what's it to get back on topic <laughs> what's what's uh, the best resource you'd recommend for for newer people to like uh help with their jiu-jitsu would it be like a youtube channel or like an instructional from like bjj fanatics renton um for me i'm not like massive on instructionals for beginners i think pe- uh, beginners should watch matches like watch high high level black belts of your um, weight and body type. So if you're tall and lanky, maybe watch someone like Keenan or some someone like that. But I, I personally, for me, I used to watch a lot of instructionals when I was a white and a blue belt. Like I remember, remember my coach Greg sitting me down the one day and he was like, "Look, you've got you're learning a lot of jiu-jitsu for the week." then you're trying to absorb more knowledge from like an external source and you're kind of like frying your head because he said you're never going to focus on just one thing so he's like watch matches of people who are like your body type and 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 pick up like little not so much techniques but traits and characteristics of things they do and then bring them back to me ask the question and we'll figure that figure them out together so i'm more against instructionals because obviously like I, I i've recorded like instructional dvds myself but I think for especially beginners, it's like it's yeah, it's cool to watch like the odd technique or two, but I'm not really one to say you should sit down and watch 90 minutes of um, I don't know, mastering the rubber guard with Eddie Bravo or listen to John Danner ramble on for 60 minutes before he even shows a technique. I think <laughs> I, I, I think find someone who's of your 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 body type, watch them and see if you can see if you can kind of like figure it out for yourself. Like if you're like quite short and stumpy maybe watch like Marcello watch his butterfly and his guillotines and things like that so that's my methodology on it I think then once you've got a a better understanding of how jiu-jitsu works as a whole that yeah when once you're like a blue or purple go crazy on instructionals because you can you can pick and choose out of them what you like but I think there's so much content out there now you've got to be uh, watching something. Again, I come back to body type and things like that, which is applicable for yourself. 
So if you really want to get good at like over under passing and um, attacking the back and things like that, maybe watch Bernardo Faria matches and then pick up one of his instructions off BJ Fanatics. But that's just that's just my 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 thinking behind it. Mm. Uh, I say if people did watch his matches and buy his instructions because of it, it would be a huge honor for them. <laughs> oh, okay, guys. It's a huge honor for me. <laughs> guys, huge honor for me. I'm Jamie Hughes on the podcast. <laughs> guys. Oh, I love Bernardo. He's like the nicest guy in Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, man, I, I, I had a, just a huge honor to get one of his instructionals, the code he put out with his half, his half guard instructional. Fucking yeah. amazing one. Man, the guy's Plus, just a, the guy's a grafter. Like he's got like no really like athletic talent. He's just the epitome of a grinder. Like who's managed to figure out a really really good style of jiu-jitsu that that kind of takes away the athleticism of a lot of people and just nullifies a lot of the modern jiu-jitsu. I think his I think his game is so massively underrated for what he does. Like he like there's the famous video of him going, "I'm the only world champion who can't do a cartwheel." <laughs> And you're, you're like, it's true. The guy can't actually do a cartwheel, but he can over under pass and break your knee with a dog bar. So that's that's good enough for me. Mm. Uh, see, I'll tell you something funny about Bernardo real quick before we get on to the next segment. But like, uh, see, I made this little video, this little compilation vid of him saying huge honor for me because, you know, that's what he says each video. But in, in the middle, like interspersed randomly, is just because uh, I was swapping to another video. And in, and in between, this one started. He's like, I have a happy childhood. You just see that, like, <laughs> randomly in the thing. I'm like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? I didn't even realize it was there. <laughs> oh, man, his voice is the best. He just, he just makes you... I'm smiling now thinking about Bernardo talking. Man, he's he's too good for this world. We should get him anointed as a saint, Saint Bernardo of uh, Painted State of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, I'd sign up for that, absolutely. Mm. Yo, Pope, whatever the fuck, Pope John Paul thirteen thousand, whatever, get on that shit. Yeah, check check some check some sainthood on uh, Bernardo. He deserves it. Can we just make Bernardo Pope after? Uh, let's get uh, Dougal Maguire as the Pope first, and then fucking uh, Bernardo is the next one after that. We we can make it happen. Sounds good to me. Pop up the white smoke. We got a new pope. <laughs> no, it'd be black smoke because Bernardo's the black belch. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I can get behind that. Ranked smoke. <laughs> okay. okay, so guys, we've reached a segment of the podcast I like to call Around the Specifics. It's just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Jamie, do you want to do Around the Specifics? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, was, what was your favorite TV show growing up? Ah, uh, probably The Simpsons. There's still like this the early episodes, of the, the early series of The Simpsons. Like I've been watching them back on Disney Plus lately. I still barely laugh like a little kid. They're hilarious. Yeah, because see, you know, they, they actually treated you with a modicum of intelligence back in the day when they actually had to, you know, prove that they're good instead of just phoning it in nowadays. Yeah, like I can't watch some of the, the, the more recent series. I reckon up until about like season 12, 13, then it started like being just like a bit uh, iffy. Yeah. Like, you know, one of the main things that sort of took away from the Samsonites, as I call it, <laughs> was like uh, the guest stars. Like, see, they'd have guest stars occasionally, but it would just be a random side character. They just would, they wouldn't be important. Like the episode wouldn't be about the guest. 
But then the 300 episode came along with skateboarding sensation Tony Hawk, and the whole episode was about Tony Hawk. Oh, it's Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk. Uh, yeah, like know. the amount of times they say Tony Hawk in that episode is like, yeah, we, we yeah, he's a guest character. But yeah, the guest character in the early series used to be really good. Mm, you know, but oh my God. The worst episode of Simpsons was the one with Lady Gaga. I'm like, Jesus, tap dancing Christ, that episode is shite. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty rubbish. And the, the Ricky Gervais episode, which was probably the biggest letdown ever, because I'm a big fan of Ricky Gervais, but that episode was awful. Mm. Was that the, the wife swap episode? Uh, I, I can't actually remember, but I can just remember watching it and being so excited to watch it, and it just turned out to be just garbage. Ah, mm. uh, you know, well, with 500 episodes, you're gonna have some stinkers. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of killer, and there's also a lot of filler, like with like with any TV series. I think. Mm. Uh, what was uh, your first video game console, and what was your favorite game on it? Uh, first console was a PS1, and I remember I had uh, Gran Turismo for it. I played Gran Turismo to death. But mm. can you remember, like, the, 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 you used to be able to get the licenses on there so you could go, like, further on the career mode? Right. You had to have, like, a certain, like, license, like a B license or an A license or a pro license. I couldn't do them because I didn't have the discipline for the corners and things like that. So I used to get my older sister to do them because she was better at me than Grant Turismo. <laughs> so that's, that's really embarrassing. I, my, my, my sister got me through my Grant Turismo career. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I still I still play Gran Turismo 2 occasionally on my PS1 because I have a really big collection of games upstairs. You know, I have to I've had to do something when there's no fucking jujitsu. What what am I supposed to do? Yeah, it's like for me, like I used to be a massive gamer up until I started training, and then once I got into training, I I stopped. I think the last console I ever owned was like a, a, an Xbox 360 because I've got like a really obsessive personality, and that if I do anything, I've got to be really good at it. Or in my mind, be really good at it. So, yeah, jiu-jitsu and video games didn't go hand in hand. So it's either play video games or go train jiu-jitsu. So I knocked them on the head a long time ago. So now mm. I've had to suffer like the indignities at Christmas of like my nephew beating me like seven nil on FIFA when I haven't, I don't know what the buttons are. So <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll, 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 I'll take that loss. <laughs> uh, then, um, what was your, your most embarrassing thing? Whether it be jiu-jitsu related or non-jiu-jitsu related, just the way you got injured was just so fucking ridiculous. Oh, I got a good one for this. Um, I was I was um, cutting weight for an MMA fight, and I remember I was in the in the boxing ring. I had my uh, my little MMA gloves on. I was just like going through some shadow work just to just to get a little sweat on. And it's like the most perfect storm ever. I just threw like a knee, and I like reached my hand out like to obviously like like gauge the distance and. I need perfectly into my uh, middle finger, and I broke my middle finger. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, the to, this, to, to this day, I'm looking at my middle finger now, and the one is, like, I got my fingers are wrecked anyway from, from years of um, punching and jiu-jitsu, but this one is particularly wrecked, and I'm just looking at it. It's still double the size of the other one. So, yeah, I managed to break my finger doing shadow boxing. Mm. I imagine uh, when uh, you do stick up the middle finger to someone, it's like almost exaggerated because of the fuck he fucked upness of the finger. Like Jesus Christ, he must be really pissed off if he slipped me off with a fucked up finger. Yeah, people like my fingers. I'll I'll actually put like a post up and you can see how bad they are. Like, do you know, like the Mio's hands, like Paulo and jo- Joao? My mm-hmm. hands are probably on a on a par with those at the minute. 
<laughs> Do you ever see that see that meme of it's like my hands look like this, all fucked up, so her hands could look like that. It's all like uh, her her hands are all manicured and shit. And it's just a juxtaposition. I'm like, man, that's fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, I've got the ugliest hands ever from jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you could ban one guard from competition, what would it be and why? Uh, probably sit into your butt without any grips. Mm, yeah, butt scooting is for pussies, let's yeah, just say. Yeah, like, they, like, don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for it, but it's just like, I do like seeing people do takedowns. It's like, oh, an aggressive guard pull where you actually jump into something you want to do. So like, like fair just, enough. Like sitting, just sitting down to your butt is like, oh, like we ain't even have like a little wrestle. We ain't even have a play. Like fair enough if you like have a two on one grip and you want to sit down and like play, like yeah. uh, fucking go into single leg X or something. Like at least have that grip. Like that. That's I can yeah, understand not, that. Not just sit down immediately like a sniper is shot you from the crowd or something. Ah, mm. you know, it's just uh, pussy shit. I <laughs> see. Uh, do you have a nickname or a fighting name? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple, unfortunately. <laughs> the, 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 the the first ever one, uh, going back to when I first met Pedro at the, the, the seminar, like Pedro's got like a, a reputation for giving all of his students nicknames and they're usually derogatory and hilarious. So um, the first one, he, he looked me up and down and he was like, I, at the time I was like 70 kilos and like, six foot six for long shaggy ear and he looked me up and down and he was like oh espantalio i was like yeah that sounds pretty cool espantalio that's that's, that's all right then i found out it means uh scarecrow and that's that and that, that that one's stuck ever since so all the brazilians and pretty much everyone calls me espantalo you'll never hear him call me by my actual name and then all the boys in the gym a couple of years ago, this one came about. Obviously, my name's Jamie, but um, Greg's brother uh, uh, used to train Matthew. And for some reason, he started calling me Jimmy. He's like, oh, G- Jimmy, boy. And that's stuck since. So now my, my nickname is Jimmy Jimmy. I'll walk into the gym. <laughs> oh, here is Jimmy Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> so if, Jimmy, we some, if, if we ever hear someone calling me calling me Jimmy, like that's, that's probably what they're going to call me. No one calls me Jamie. I don't, I don't even think my mother calls me Jamie. <laughs> oh god damn it uh, do you prefer uh training in the morning or in the evening uh if i had my way i'd have all my training done before 6 p.m just because like i've trained like um in different places and like trained trained abroad and like uh had the experience of training like early morning sessions afternoon sessions obviously evening sessions when i'm at home but for me, if I could have a street pick, I'd train uh, my hard session in the morning, uh, maybe a strength and conditioning workout midday, and then a technical session to finish the day. But obviously, where I am and based on that, area, all my training partners are most, I think this is the same for most of us in like the, the UK and Ireland, most of our training partners are available in the evening. So that's when I do like my biggest classes and my main classes. But yeah, if I had a straight choice, I wouldn't wouldn't do anything in the evening i just leave that for, for, for recovery but obviously i haven't got that, that luxury over here but i i still enjoy like being around in the, the gym in the evening it's just they're quite long days when you're getting up at like 5 30 in the morning and then getting off the mat about 10 in the night so but i would i wouldn't change it for the world so mm. man that's what i call the perfect day five in the morning to 10 at night i'm like nice yeah like 
it's it's it, you, it takes some getting used to, but I've been doing it that long now. That's just a normal day for me. I, I love it. I wake up excited to train, and I go to bed excited to train again in the morning. So I think if I can, if that if that keeps up, I think that's a a good way to live. Do mm. so, uh, do you prefer cats or dogs? Ah, I've always been a dog person ever since I can remember. I've always had big dogs, German shepherds, Belgian shepherds. Um, Last going off, my, my last dog passed away after 13 years, and he was a uh, Alaskan Malamute crossed with a German Shepherd, and he had timber wolf blood in him. So this, he was like a real life dire wolf. Fucking and, hell! Uh, he was about 85 kilos, um, like probably like up to like my chest height, like size wise, and he was the softest, most lovely dog ever. <laughs> but then he passed away, and then. Um, now I've ended up with two cats and I've never been a cat person. I've always been really weary of cats. Cause I've always thought, oh, they're just evil and want to want to kill everyone. Because they've got that glint in their eye, haven't they? You yeah. like look at a cat and you're like, oh, yeah, he's probably going to try and murder me when my back is turned. Real but I've got, I, looking. Yeah, I've got two cats now and they're the softest, um, like most weirdly sociable cats ever. I think it's because we've like reared them from little kittens. But like it's the boy especially is like the, the nicest kitten ever. He's more like a dog because he follows me around everywhere. He's like really affectionate. So yeah, I kind of lean towards cats. But if someone give me a straight choice, is always going to be always going to be dogs because I'm like that person who looks at the dog and just turns 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 to to jello because I love him so much. Man, the fucking the fucking hound you just described the fucking dog weighs more than me it's probably taller than me as well like jesus christ uh, fucking... he was uh, he was he was a sight to be all like i remember when we went to pick him up when he was just like i say a little puppy he was gigantic as a puppy anyway but um yeah the the, the guy who bred him said oh this this one's going to be special and and the guy who was true to his word he was a was a special dog like he lived like 13 years for a dog of that size and Never had one problem with him, no aggression. He was just like the ultimate family dog. So, yeah, I miss him a lot. That was that was my boy, Blue. Mm. <laughs> I see, man. Uh, my neighbor had this fucking ginormous thing called the Leon Burger. I don't know if you've ever seen one of them. They're fucking. I'll send you a picture of one later. But they're fucking really fluffy. They're they're really big in general. And my grandma came to visit us one time. She saw him and she thought it was a fucking bear. And she started freaking out. <laughs> I, I used to I used to walk blue on the road and people are just like stopping their tracks because I don't think they'd ever seen a dog that big and then they come up to him expecting like him to be nasty and then he just he was just like a sucker for affection so you just got like this you got this 85 kilogram monster just who thinks he's a lap dog and he's just like like was a proper affection junkie so man Jared, do you know what's weird see I see people fucking uh, domesticating foxes and shit that's because like foxes are they're kind of like dogs, I guess. They're fucking, it's fucking weird, isn't it? Yeah, I've always found that really weird. It's like, I'm pretty sure that's just meant to be a wild animal. Well, you know, then again, wolves back in the day were wild animals and look how that turned out. Yeah, that's true. But then you've got like people like Mike Tyson was having like a white uh, tiger as a pet. Well, didn't work out well for the, what was the tool? What was the guy who had his arm bit off by a tiger? Yeah. Well, like a... Not 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 the um, Tiger King. So I I haven't watched Tiger King. I think I'm like the one person in the world who hasn't hasn't watched that program. Uh, I haven't finished it. I watched the first three episodes. I'm like, I you know it was kind of funny for a bit seeing this gay fellow with a mullet and coke uh, crack and guns and shit having tigers. But I'm like, eh, you know I don't really care. 
Yeah, it's like everyone told me to watch it, and then it's just, it's just I've seen that many memes and stuff of it now, I just can't bring myself to watch it. I really should, just because I, I might enjoy it, but no, nah, it's a bit, bit weird for me. Uh, you know, it was something to do during the fucking lockdown. I'll give them some credit for entertaining people, but you know, yeah, yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I think they chose their moment wisely to release it during uh, the worldwide pandemic, where people got nothing better to do. Mm. Uh, do you have any? Do you have favorite junk food? Oh yeah, I've got a massive sweet tooth. Like, I keep my diet like relatively clean, but I just love like chocolate and sweets and anything like that, ice cream. Like I'm terrible. Like on a weekend, I'll easily go through like two tubs of Ben and Jerry's. Like, is no, no, no problem. <laughs> but, Man, but, you're like no, a, you're like a fucking single woman on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I am. But like, I just look at it. I, like, I train really hard all week, so that's like my reward. And obviously, like, I'm quite a big guy anyway. So, like, I've got a weird metabolism in that. I can eat pretty much wherever I want and stay in good condition year-round, so I kind of abuse that fact as well, the fact that I can eat ice cream and eat chocolate and still be, like, 8% body fat or whatever it is. So, yeah, I'm probably going to get to 30 and just turn into, like, a big gelatinous blob and all my metabolism is going to slow down, but I'm enjoying it for now. Mm. Uh, Do you speak any other languages? Um, I can speak a bit of like broken, like caveman Portuguese from, from where I was living in Brazil for a period of time. Like I understand, understand it to a degree. I just got really good at ordering food. So that's about as far as my linguistic skills, um, branch out. Mm. Could you order us a burger real quick in Portuguese? <laughs> uh, I could pro- I, burger, I can't actually remember what a burger is. I could probably order you like fries. Like uh, um, 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 batata fritter, pop of all. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty cool. Uh, what's it? Um, what's it, what would you say is your favorite historical period? Like, say you had a time machine, was the first place you'd go? Oh, um, probably. Ah, oh, the probably when the Romans were about, just so I could watch some of the the the, the fights in like the the amphitheaters and things like that. That's probably from watching Gladiator way too much as a as a kid growing up. So mm. I just like that that all because obviously that goes back to like it's a very like ancient version of what people do now when they jump in the cage and fight. So yeah, it'd be good to mm. see like how, how fighting's evolved over over the the hundreds of years or wherever it is. Mm. Well, needless to say, you were entertained. <laughs> oh. Ah, uh, see, uh, that's it. Do you have a favorite philosophical quote? Um, yeah, I, I do actually like my quotes. Um, I've got a particular one which is kind of like a not like a life mantra, but um, one which is always resonated with me, especially towards training. Is um, perfection is unattainable, therefore your journey is endless, which I think is very um, apt for jiu-jitsu and the martial arts. Um, journey in general so that's that's one of my favorites i mm. uh, see uh i see i i i'm into philosophizing just a little bit i came up with two sort of uh semi-decent quotes let's <laughs> <laughs> see uh the first one i said this on the podcast before it's uh i'd rather have a bad day on the mat than a good day off them because all i give a shit about is jiu-jitsu so that's you know pretty handy and then uh the second one 
was a don't start a leg fight you can't leg win <laughs> that's that sounds like someone's gonna get out as a tattoo <laughs> like man there, i got this pic i have a picture of me in competition i'm just smiling like a deranged lunatic before a match like it's it, the picture was taken in the middle of the slap and bump and i have this weird yeah. deranged smile on i put that text on next to my face don't start a leg fight you can't leg win <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I I I, I like quotes, like especially like because they do like resonate with jujitsu and martial arts quite a lot. Like my other favorite one is just uh, uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's mm. like probably the most important part of jujitsu is learning how to take a fucking hammer and and come back. So, mm. uh, you know, get get used to bottom side control. You're going to be there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And then we have people doing b- aggressive bottom side. We're like, okay, that's not what we meant, but okay. Yeah, like doing some of their best work from mount guard. I, you know, it's just eh, each to their own. But the okay. Uh, what's your favorite music genre? Ah, uh, I've got like the most eclectic taste in music ever. So if you look at my Spotify, it's like there's loads of like. Um, like emo screamo stuff on there like i'm a massive like funeral for a friend fan but then on the other hand it'll be like r&b um loads of rap music then it'll jump to ramstein slipknot but it's just all over the shop i listen to loads of music because usually like with without my days go i've got my headphones on most of the time i'm usually in a gym or on the way to a gym so yeah i've got a massive eclectic taste in music so if i ever look at my spotify playlist they're just all over the shop yeah, what's uh, your playlist called in case someone wants to look it up? Um, I don't think I've actually gone. I think I've got like a couple of like rolling ones, which I've got for the gym. They're just like pretty generic, like rolling number one, rolling two and rolling three. But yeah, I usually subject my um, my students to wherever I'm in the mood for. So one night it'll be like filming for a friend's early stuff. And then others, we have 80s night. And then sometimes I'll have like the like 50s music on and other nights they gotta sit through all the slipknot back catalog i always keep on their toes <laughs> mm. uh, see if anyone wants to see my playlist it's uh blurst it's blessed and cursed put together it's just a lot of bob dylan and rage against the machine and tool that sort of shit bit of a weird combination there but uh, you know it works for me <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite song to roll to out of all of that uh variety uh yeah probably film for a friend all the ridge that's like that like if i won like a really hard sparring round like with one of my my main training partners who's going to try and kill me i'll pull that one on because it gets me gets me proper amp that that's the one i always listen to before competing to hmm. uh, man I'll, I'll have to look that up afterwards because i always ask people that question and then look up their song like uh i've gotten some good good tunes off it yeah, like like Film for a Friend are a, a Welsh band who were like they they don't actually tour anymore, but yeah, they've always been like my favourite since I was like thirteen, fourteen. So there's like a lot of nostalgia there from when I was like a a skinny, long haired little emo bopping about the place at gigs. <laughs> that was that I was that guy. So yeah, is there a movie that only you like and everyone else hates, or vice versa, you hate it but everyone else loves it? Uh, oh that's a tough question um one of my favorite ones is um remember the titans have you ever seen that um, if, um oh no samuel jackson uh denzel washington about where they integrate like the the american schools and they like 
he's an American football team. Not not a lot of people have ever heard of it, but that's like my favorite like feel good film. Like if I ever want to be put in a good mood, I'll always watch always watch Remember the Titans. Mm. Good one to the, check uh, on the list. Is 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 on Disney Plus at the minute, so if you've got Disney Plus, get on it. The uh, let's just say when you die. Yeah, yeah, uh, you have to convince Saint Peter to let you into heaven. And uh, keep in mind, once you get past the gates, they can't kick you out, and everyone only wears white geese. So uh, let's see, you can either convince him or fucking challenge him to a uh, first to score jiu-jitsu match, or just fucking power double him. You could do whatever you want, but how do you get past them gates? Am I allowed to wear a black gi once I get in there? No, it's only white geese in heaven. I'll go to hell then. I. <laughs> I, I love black I, 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 I bet the devil would let me wear a black key. Well, yeah, but he'd also fucking stab you with a pitchfork for eternity and boil you alive. Yeah, but I'd be down there with the rest of Cobra Kai and we could, we could go through it together. They fucking heel hook in the gee, so come on, bro. I, I'd be down there, you looking white belts for eternity. I, I'd be running the place within a couple of months, it'd be fine. <laughs> Uh, they they just make you a uh, supervisor of hell. Like the devil will just nip off for a quick holiday to purgatory. He's like, uh, Jamie, would you mind uh, taking care of the place for a few weeks? He's like, uh, Beelzebub, don't worry about it. It's just basically like starting jiu-jitsu all over again. You just you just come in as the white belt and then eventually work yourself up as like chief torturer or something. Mm. That, that's essentially what jiu-jitsu instructors are, aren't they? They're chief torturers to the masses. Yeah, well, that that's quite the way to look at it. See, uh, we got a bit of a, a moral dilemma here. So, would you rather cure cancer or solve solve world hunger? Uh, probably cure cancer, but that's just from a, a, a personal perspective. The fact that I've lost like a lot of family members to cancer, so that's just that's just my opinion on it. No, that's a perfectly good uh, one. That's a perfectly good option, in my opinion. Uh, can you do any impressions? Uh, yeah, I can. <laughs> oh, it's your one. It might be a really bad one, but I can remember when my, my niece and nephew were little, they always used to watch Scooby-Doo, so I've, like, practiced, like, the, the Scooby-Doo impression quite a bit. Yeah, let's hear it, bro. Two seconds, I'm laughing now. Are you ready? Holy shit, that's fucking great. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good, isn't it? God damn it, bro. That was, fucking, that was awesome, man. That's, that, uh, man. that's the bit you got to put on the Instagram post now. I'm, I'm going to put that on the Instagram TV. Just like, <laughs> uh, J- J- Jamie uh, Jamie Hughes wants some Scooby snacks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my favorite one to do. It always gets a laugh out of people. Uh-oh. Dog, where? <laughs> Yo, while we're on the topic, I uh, see I have a bunch of VHS tapes of like uh, stuff I watched when I was a kid, and one of them was a uh, uh, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, and I must say that holds up remarkably well. I think that is a genuinely great film. Yeah, I, I'll I'll still aptly sit down and watch like the old Scooby Doo cartoons because especially like the really old ones, like the ones from like the sixties and the seventies, is like some of the references are like really obscure and you sat there and you're like, I didn't get that reference, but it must have been cool in the seventies. Mm. Uh but but trust me, man, watch Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. It, it's fucking amazing. 
I get on. I like Scooby Doo. Still, like, even though I'm almost a 30 year old man, still makes me barely laugh. <laughs> okay. Uh, in your uh, personal opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Uh, no. no I've um, mustaches for me. I, I've grown a beard like this this lockdown. I I'm never usually got facial. I've usually just got stubble. But I've been growing this beard for like two months. But yeah, I don't think an handlebar mustache would suit me. I'd look like I shouldn't be allowed near a school or something. So probably all the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you prefer Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Uh, Mortal Kombat. That was that was my favorite as a kid. Mm, finally, someone with class on the fucking podcast. Ugh, yeah, Street I, I, Fighter. Fuck. I, I used to, I used to love Sub Zero and Scorpion. They were my favorites. Like, oh man, uh, if you want something to do, get a PS4 and uh, get Mortal Kombat 11 because they just released. A new expansion for it, where you can play as RoboCop and the Terminator and all them. That's pretty cool. What was the last Mortal Kombat I had? What was the one with the gold, the gold package? In? I think it was like Mortal Kombat three or four uh, or four uh, yeah. something like that. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was the re-release of Mortal Kombat four called Mortal Kombat Gold. Yeah, that's the one. That was the last Mortal Kombat I played, and it was it was amazing. Mm. I remember the ending cutscenes in that in that fucking game. They were just horribly bad. Yeah, I guess got like memories of like ripping people's like um, skeletons out of their body like, when you get the old finish. <laughs> finish him. Uh, I say that's why you love jujitsu so much, ripping skeletons off people. Yeah, like the last word goes through my head when I'm about to submit someone is probably just still like a throwback to when I was a kid. It's like just finish him. Mm. You should get someone uh, in your corner to scream "Finish him!" when you're about to g- get someone with something, and like uh, Jamie wins, uh, submit ality or something or brut- brutality if you really fuck him up. Yeah, that'd be alright. You just like flashing on the screen, like the the, the sub only shows you need to get on there, like like the, the blood running down the screen, like fatality. <laughs> uh, oh man here's the thing they brought friendships back in uh, Mortal Kombat 11 so you can end uh, end the match in that way <laughs> friendships uh, you, you know like uh, the way to end the match in like a goofy way but like dancing around you don't even kill your enemy it's just it, that's that's an extra flex in my opinion because like you beat the shit out of them you're like I'm not even going to kill you I'm gonna fucking humiliate the shit out of you just to show yeah. how much I've won over you yeah I'm a merciful god man that's like uh do you remember see way back when in like the colonial times with fucking the native americans and all that if they were like uh fighting a bunch of like the fucking uh pilgrims or redcoats or whoever the fuck they were the native americans like sneak up behind them and poke them with a stick and run away just as the insult just to show yeah i could have snuck up behind you and fucking killed you but instead i poked you with a fucking stick get wrecked (laughs) Yeah, that's that's just that's just um, colonial posturing. Eh? That's I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what's the number one thing on your bucket list? Oh, um, I'm quite lucky in that regard. I, I I remember I like drew up a list when I was like a teenager of things I wanted to do through like my career and stuff like that, and I pretty much ticked off a lot of them. So, um. I'd like to go travel. I'd like to go traveling once more before before I'm too old or settled down. That's like just once around the world, like where everywhere go everywhere where I haven't been before. So yeah, that's probably like the only thing left on there. 
I am like pretty mm. simple when it comes to like things I want out of life. I'm not, I'm not particularly like materialistic or greedy or obsessed about wealth. I just want to be able to eventually live comfortably, do what I love every day as a job, and not have to, not have to answer to someone else, and be able to eventually like set up other people in life, like whether it's my students or children in the future. That's just what I want. Mm. So, uh, do you believe in aliens? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Mm. You, you I, I, I find it hard to believe that out of the whole ginormous galaxy that we got, that we are the we are the only intelligent life, which is a terrifying thought that we are the most intelligent things in the in the galaxy. <laughs> if that's actually the fact, then there's probably a good reason that we're all going to be dead in a couple of hundred years because it's probably for the best. <laughs> uh, see because the amount of fucking stupid people on this planet see most people this like the stupidity venn diagram i've coined most people are stupid and most people don't do jiu-jitsu coincidence yeah but there's also a lot of stupid people in jiu-jitsu too so they kind of uh, get through the but they are they're like that in general like in life like there's a lot of stupid people a lot of stupid people but maybe no, like maybe as a matter of perspective, maybe people like look at us and just go like those guys are really stupid. All they do is roll around on the floor with other sweaty men. Ah uh, well, uh, if that's the case, I'm a stupid person that can fucking strangle the non-stupid person. So who's really stupid yeah. in this scenario? That's true. That's the one thing you've always got over them. Yeah, you know, like no, like uh, all these fucking. That's that's the only thing I really consider when uh if something someone is like uh impress worthy of being you know if, if someone impresses me that's the one thing that impresses me like uh how good they are like uh physical shit like uh like i fucking hated like where i used to work for example because all these fucking uh higher up cunts were just so full of themselves they wanted everyone to suck up to them and like uh they're all weak weak weaklings like they're off i'm like man why the fuck should i suck up to you i could fucking kick the shit out of you if i fucking felt like it so what yeah, the fuck? Exactly. What? it's like the the level of respect you have for people is usually especially if you've done martial arts or like like combat sports usually kind of gravitate towards those sort of people that can actually back up their shit it's like as long as someone's got like experience and they actually know what the fuck they're talking about no matter what the subject is i'll respect that person as long as they show me the same level of courtesy back i think that's how respect should work Mm. like my my old boss is a bit of a jackass but really full of himself i'm just thinking man uh why should i fucking like give a shit about you to say like you're a fucking you're like fucking 50 years old and you're a weak bastard you don't have like a bruise or a mark on you you're like you're a fucking pussy like why should yeah, i care about you but that's probably like if you need that job that's the time you should not say it to his face ah uh, you know i'm out of there anyway so i don't give a shit oh ah, there we are you, you can you can say it now fuck that guy mm. Uh, sure. Fuck him. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's it? Uh, if you became president of Earth, what's the first thing you do? Like first law you'd enact? Make jitsu legal again. Yeah, hey, my man. <laughs> That's my Fucking, first decree. Uh, dude, jujitsu academies are marked essential businesses, and anyone who says otherwise can fuck right off. No, I'd make a decree that they can never shut ever again no matter what's happening it can be like alien invasion world war pandemic we stay open mm. 
Uh, man, I, I think lots of problems could be solved just by a jiu-jitsu match. Like, get Donald Trump and King John Ong to have fight in a sub, sub-only jiu-jitsu match, and that'll sort things out. I'd be all for that, but then they'd be working their way up to the big boss, Vladimir Putin, because you know he's just going to grip up and just throw him with some filthy judo. Mm, and, then the prob- thing. and then probably I- finish with, with some sambal. And here's the thing. I don't think Vladimir Putin, like, uh, I think they say, remember that video circulating of him showing this one little kid how to do this one judo throw? Yeah, I think I vaguely remember seeing it. I, that was obviously fucking staged, like, no shit, like, obviously. But do you, like, do you think Vladimir Putin actually does judo or he just wants everyone to think he does, like, to show that he's, like, a tough dude? Because he'd always be, like, circulating this bullshit, making it look like he was, like, a good hunter, of an- a good animal hunter and stuff, like a beast master and stuff. Like, you know, he's really calculated how he portrays himself. I think he's one of those guys who, obviously, like, he's the Russian, Russian, uh, head of Russia. So there's a certain amount of um, propaganda that goes behind everything he puts out. But I, I've watched a couple of videos of him, like, executing throws and things like that, and he looks exactly war he is he's a 50 year old hobbyist judoka no one's saying that he's gonna fucking throw teddy renee on his head but you watch him you can obviously see that the guy has put in a bit of time to learn even if he's just like just doing like the the, the theoretical judo stuff where you can execute the technique or do a fucking cat or whatever they call him but mm. he looks like a, he looks exactly where he is he's a he's a he's a middle-aged man who's got a little passion for judo and, and obviously executed against people of that same level Mm. I don't think out, I, don't, I don't think he's out there like hunting bears and like slitting bears' throats like he wants you to believe. But yeah, I, th- I think I think Vladimir's got legit. I think he beat up any other world leader anyway. Mm. Uh, see, uh, what, what was I gonna say? Uh, fucking, I imagine training with Vladimir would be quite the hassle because you can't you you have to go easy on him because if you fucking make uh, the the leader of Russia look like an Egypt, he'll fucking send you after the gulag. Yeah, imagine like foot sweeping like Vladimir off the bat, no grips. You just be, you'd have like you'd end up like Alexander Litvinenko. You'd have like um, uranium in your tea or something. No, like uh, if Vladimir asked me to roll with him, I'd say uh, no thanks. No, no, no. Yeah, that's when you'd have to go. Oh, Vladimir, I really want to roll with you, but I've got a bit of a dodgy knee at the minute, so I'm gonna have to skip this one out. Yeah, I I broke my toe like uh real like uh last round. Yeah, you know uh. Because no, no the, the thing is, if you rolled with him and didn't give him enough respect, or you just laid there and took a beat in, he'd probably have you killed anyway. So you're not like you, you, you're between a rock and a hard place. Vladimir is probably, I, I think he just likes bumping people off. So any excuse. Mm. I, you know, fucking like, uh, I'd rather look like a pussy not roll with him than get sent to the gulag or uh, just get shot in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah, like living, living's good. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, you know, because if I'm dead, I can't do jiu-jitsu unless I get sent to, like, uh, that great big dojo in the sky, which is very yeah. unlikely because I don't where, believe where that shit. <laughs> where, where they don't allow black geese. It's essentially AOJ is, is jiu-jitsu heaven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about uh, you're allowed to wear the Mike Fowler gi with, like, the, co- the fucking coral, like, collar stuff, like the weird blue supplement. I love that gi. I didn't like it. Mm. A lot. I feel my teammates have got it, and I just, I just didn't. I don't like stuff on the lapels. I, I, I like the lapel to be the same color as the gi. Mm. No, I'm, I'm big into lapels being different color, like the Merkatsu dragonfly with the all samurai stuff on the lapel. Nah, I think that's fucking that's, amazing. 
no, that's not, uh, not for me. I like clean geese. I don't like my geese with too many patches on. I just like them to look nice and clean and fresh. <laughs> uh, well, uh, each to their own. Let's see. Um, what's this done? Uh, do you have any valuable relationship advice to offer anyone? What sort of relationship? With a, like, like a woman or something? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not absolutely the best at all, so <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say. Don't cheat on him. Ah, oh, see, that's that's where I messed up last time. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, I've never been in a relationship, so I've never had that issue. So lucky me. See, uh, would you rather have super strength or super speed? Uh, super strength. I thought you already had super strength by the look of you. No, even more super strength, just so you could like literally just like break anyone you want to. Because like super speed's cool, but then you just mostly be running, and I don't like running. So, well, man, let's if you got a good run up to someone and hit them, like uh, you'd fucking send them flying because of the speed of you hit you hitting them, or you'd fucking punch their head off. Yeah, but again, you've got to have a run up. I don't like running, so if I can just like get my hands on someone and just break them in half without having to exert myself through that running then i'd be much more of a fan of that hmm. uh let's say you could you could teleport anywhere in the world say there wasn't a pandemic shite going on like uh where would you teleport and why uh probably san diego so i can go 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 train with all the guys over there because san diego is like class place to train jiu-jitsu and that would be really good now just to like dive back into training with all the all the guys over in san diego hmm so, uh, what myth- mythical creature do you wish existed? Oh, mythical creatures. Um, probably Bigfoot. Why? Because like, so, so you could big, Bigfoot lock him? No, just so, like, it'd be amazing if you were walking, like, around the forest, like, on a hike. You'd go, oh, look, there's a Bigfoot there. And you just got, like, this giant eight-foot hairy humanoid thing walking around. It'd just be super weird and cool just to see one of those wandering about. Uh, man, state of that Sasquatch. Yeah, exactly. Shout out the Sasquatch Jiu-Jitsu in Bournemouth. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, let's see. Um, what was uh, your least favorite subject in school? Maths all day. I didn't like my maths teacher. I still don't like maths now. I, I actually um, like school. I actually like school as well. I used to love like English, media studies, PE, but yeah, I hated my maths teacher, and I think she hated me in equal measure. So, mm. uh, man, I I know what you mean. Like, uh, my fucking maths teacher in fifth year was a, a confirmed actual psychopath. Yeah, it, they tend to gravitate towards the profession. I think. Mm. Like, what he do? He throw books off the off the wall, chairs, uh, fucking. He was just crazy. He was fucking mental. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, my math teacher just, to, like, lo- lock me up and down. And, like, she know I was going to play up, so she just sent me out. So I wouldn't even say a word and I'd be into another class. <laughs> uh, that'd be handy out. Okay, so, guys, we've reached the last question. Ooh. <laughs> Are you ready for the last question, Jamie? Yeah, let's have it. Let's go. Okay. Whew. Uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned in all your years of uh, training? Most important lesson, also, that's a good one to finish with. Um, probably 
to be humble, as cliche as that sounds, I think is one thing jiu-jitsu teaches you a lot is that there's always like a bigger fish or someone like it was going to be able to beat you up. So when you're in a jiu-jitsu gym, like it's no common occurrence that jiu-jitsu people get on really well with other jiu-jitsu people because you kind of have the the ego beaten out of you. Even if you're still like a like a brash or arrogant person, you'll probably still be on the level because you've gone through the same things the other person has gone through. So it, by rights, it does make a lot of people like super humble. Like for myself, it's like I never overestimate my ability or underestimate anyone's ability just because I've gone through the the same thing that they they're going through and we've all, all been through so yeah just that it teaches you to be humble and just be a good person because you never know who's walking down the street and who could cave your head in if they wanted to so so be nice to people I hmm. uh, so guys that's where we're going to leave it if you want to follow jamie on instagram it's at jamie hughes bjj i think like uh, i'll have it in the description anyway if you want to have a look see i might uh be misremembering so jamie do you want uh, anything you want to say before we shoot off uh just a couple of shout outs uh shout out to my coaches uh greg creole pedro bessa eduardo Tales, my judo coach um stephen abley uh, shout out to my sponsors, Tommy Fightwear, uh, Gain Nutrition, and to my strength and conditioning coach, uh, Reese Jones. Um, another one, uh, congratulations to my teammate, Mason Jones, as well, uh, on winning the Cage Warriors Lightweight World title just before lockdown. Uh, and I forgot to say that on a couple of other podcasts, so a big shout out to Mason, who's rightfully enjoying celebrating being the world champion. So shout out to him as well. Mm-hmm. Alright, so thanks guys. Hope uh hope all goes well. Hope we can train soon. Adios.